Welcome to another edition of the Delaware Valley Journal podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us here in the wake of the, uh, I could call them the off-year elections, the odd-year elections for people who are non-political junkies, maybe the strange-year elections. How do we make sense out of what we saw in Virginia, New Jersey, and in Pennsylvania? News editor Linda Stein is with us as usual. Linda, how are you? Fine, Michael. Thank you. And we're delighted to welcome the director and chief methodologist of Franklin and Marshall College's Center for Opinion Research and political science professor at Franklin and Marshall, uh, Professor Burwood Yost. Professor Yost, welcome. Thank you, Michael. So let's start with the you know big picture. What the heck happened on Tuesday? <laughs> well, I guess if you're a Republican, you're smiling in most places. Um, you know, this was a uh, decidedly off-year election, as you discussed, and um, you know turnout comparatively was pretty low. Um, when you can, when you think back to where we were a year ago, nearly um, eighty percent of the state's registered voters came out to vote in the presidential election. I'm, I'm guessing that in this particular race, uh, we're going to be lucky to be around thirty percent of the state's voters, registered voters coming out. So I think, you know, if we're thinking about um, big picture things, I think we can see that um, there were a lot of different levels of motivation among, I think, um, partisans. And um, certainly turnout was down across the board, comparatively speaking, but I think that, and, and we saw this in our polling, um, that certain subgroups that typically align with Republicans were more excited to vote this time around. And I think that's a big part of the story. My understanding is that in Virginia, which is the race that's gotten the most attention, turnout was uh, astonishingly high for an odd year gubernatorial race. Uh, is that true? And was the turnout in Pennsylvania high compared to, say, four or eight years ago? Yeah, that's a fair question. I do think the, the turnout in Virginia was high, and that shouldn't surprise us because you had high-profile uh, high campaigns spending a lot of money and engaging right. voters. And that's obviously what happened in 2020 here with the presidential and the various uh, congressional and state house races, et cetera. So, um, I, you know, there is a relationship between the the amount of money spent and interest in the campaigns and and voter turnout. So uh, what we saw in, in Virginia was certainly evidence that spending um, and, and having a competitive race certainly makes a difference. And I would think that, you know, in terms of compared to prior elections, prior off off year elections, I forget how you describe them, <laughs> odd year elections, however you want to say it. Our numbers may be a little higher than previous uh, because, you know, this is the first time that we had a, uh, an election under the new rules that allowed for absentee, you know, no excuse absentee right. voting. So, um, you know, so I think we'll probably be a little higher. But that said, you know, it doesn't come close to where we were a year sure. ago. One last question before I uh, unleash Linda on you. So be prepared. I'm ready. Uh, what I, so my political pundit hat says what we saw on Tuesday was a prime example of negative partisanship that the, while people are talking about what happened in uh, Pennsylvania, Virginia, where you had, as you mentioned, a high profile Democrat who had held the office before and a lot of attention, 
nobody knew the heck who the heck was running for governor in New Jersey as a Republican. They didn't know who the guy's name. And yet, you know, he ended up uh, Wednesday morning in a neck and neck race because his name was really not the Democrat. And that this was an, uh, uh, both turnout voter motivation was driven by the desire to send a message to Democrats or to show opposition to whatever people perceive, whether that's Joe Biden, specific policies, the just grumpy about the fact that things aren't as you know going like they hope and Democrats are in charge. So they're the ones who have to take the punishment. Uh, you sound like a political scientist uh, <laughs> trotting out those terms, but you're right. I mean, there is um, in, in the past two decades or so, we've seen a, a, a real change in the fact that the parties have sorted themselves ideologically. And so, you know, most Republicans are conservatives and most Democrats are liberal. Um, and, and so, you know, people come out to vote against uh, the other party in, in many ways. And I think you're, you're right about that. Um, but I think it's also true that, you know, who doesn't come out to vote is part of this. And, and you know, and, if we look at Pennsylvania, for instance, it, it sure seems that the judicial candidates are going to sweep statewide for the Republicans, right? Um, and, and you have to ask yourself, well, geez, how did that happen? Well, if you look at some of those counties, I, our numbers aren't final here in the state, but turnout in Philadelphia may have been below 20%. Right. Um, you know, turnout in Montgomery County, a large share of votes. Um, you know, in uh, around this in the suburbs and some other suburban counties had um, relatively lower turnout. And so I think, you know, in our own polling, we saw a bit less interest from liberals, uh, even some moderates that may have supported um, Democrats probably stayed home. Uh, we know the electorate was probably older and more male. Um, so, you know, I, the, the whole story here has to do with differential motivations. And part of that is, as you said, because of different feelings about how the incumbent parties perform. Right. Well, I will confess that I did study under, study under that great political philosopher, W.C. Fields, who, <laughs> who actually said, quote, I never vote for anyone. I always vote against Linda Stein. The professor is all yours. Yes. Hi, professor. Um, well, what I'm wondering is looking ahead to 2022, um, given that this is kind of a quirky off year election, uh, what does it mean? Does it portend anything, a victory for the Republicans maybe, or um, will more Democrats come out in 2022 and hang on to Pennsylvania? Well, you know, look, there's always, um, we always have a tendency to look at the last election, uh, election and an over, uh, compensate, right, and say, hey, you know, these are big things that we know. And we have to be careful about that, I think, Linda, because, you know, when you look at the statewide numbers, you look at Virginia, you even look at New Jersey, you're thinking, man, this is this is rough. Um, and if we look back to, say, 2009, right, uh, a Republican a guy by the name of Chris Christie actually won New Jersey. Um, that didn't impact uh, Barack Obama's ability to get reelected in 2012, right? So I, mean, I think we have to be careful about, um, you know, what it all means. Then again, if we look at the Christie example, um, in 2010, what, the, what happened in the House? Democrats lost 63 seats, I believe. So, right, we, so 
you know, maybe it's going to tell us something about the coming year. It certainly tells us something about right now. And that is there's some malaise, perhaps, among Democrats. Uh, we see some uh, weakening among liberals, um, you know, some moderates, as I said, who may have supported uh, the president and the party, um, you know, suburban voters, women didn't come out. That's going to be a huge problem in 2022 if it continues. Um, you know, but there are other things that you can look at, Linda, and you could say, well, um, maybe there's some counterfactuals here. There were two state um, house races in Pennsylvania, uh, special elections, and the Democrats in those races actually look like they're going to outperform the registration in those districts. And um, I've actually heard some people talking about Virginia itself. And while, you know, certainly partisanship and differential motivation was was uh, part of the part of the outcomes there. Some people are arguing that it's also the fact that um, Youngkin was talking about issues that were more state and localized. Parents involved in in uh, curriculum in their local schools, um, you know, uh, rising uh, gas prices, uh, economic issues, you know, kind of local and and state focused issues, um, which resonated better with voters. So, you know, I think that I always try to keep in mind that there's going to be a broader electoral context to any election, um, but that at any given level, you know, you have two candidates going after each other and they have to both perform well, um, or, you know, you may get a, an outcome you weren't expecting. So you don't think it's a forum then on President Joe Biden's policies? Well, I think, well, yes, I do, uh, Linda. I think undoubtedly, and our own polling shows this, um, you know, people are dissatisfied with the way um, President Biden's performing. I think something like 40% of the people in our last poll said they've changed their mind about his job performance. And in fact, 90% of those people have changed their minds, said he's, they're doing worse than they thought. So, um, you know, and that's, a, that's a, for a lot of reasons. That's concerns about uh, Afghanistan, concerns about COVID, um, immigration problems at the border, um, rising uh, prices. So yes, there's, there's no doubt that the motivations in part, differential motivations stem in part from how people view the performance of the president and the Democrats that control Congress. Okay, well, looking forward again towards next year, how big of a role will redistricting play in those elections? Well, you know, they always, redistricting is always important. Um, and you could see the results of that after 2018, when those uh, congressional districts were redrawn, um, you know, it, it evened out the state delegation. You know, that said, Pennsylvania is a 50-50 a state in many ways. And, um, you know, so I think we're going to see competitive races, depending on how those districts are redrawn. Um, we're going to have, a, I guess, an odd number of seats. We're going to lose a seat. So, um, you know, I, I, I suspect that uh, the, the redistricting is going to do what, you know, it, I, would, I would imagine because both parties are going to have a role in this process, with the go governor being able to sign off on this, we won't get the kind of gerrymandered maps we did in 2011, um, but I do expect that um, 
there's going to be a lot of places where there are, um, you know, uh, close races, um, and we'll probably see a, a close split in the delegation uh, after 2022. Uh, we really appreciate your time. I want to wrap up by asking you about the polling you've been doing. You just mentioned on President Biden and you know, people think about, I think Pennsylvania is kind of like a Biden kind of state, which is, you know, he obviously he grew up here uh, and uh, or was born here, I should say, and that people think of him as kind of a purple guy, a kind of a blue collar Democrat. And you mentioned that people are disappointed. Does your polling indicate that that disappointment is connected to the perceived shift that he's kind of aligned himself more with the AOC wing, if you will, of his own party than people expected, or is it based on performance? It's just, you know, people thought he was going to shut down the, what was he said? I'm going to, I'm not going to shut down the economy. I'm not going to shut down the jobs. I'm going to shut down the virus and the virus doesn't feel very shut down. He seemed like he's supposed to be a steady hand in foreign policy. And, and people would argue that's not been the case. In other words, is it ideology or is it the actions events on the ground that your polling show make people go huh this is not the joe biden i thought i was going to get yeah it look he never had a lot of support among republicans right i mean so i think when you're talking about the the decline in his approval ratings we see it um among democratic affiliated groups so his numbers among democrats went down a little they went down among liberals a little bit and and they had their biggest decline among moderates right so so i think that the um, president biden campaigned on competence you know the ability to get things done the ability to deal with congress the ability to solve the covid crisis and you know i think as an outsider looking in you don't see a lot of competence. The stories that are covered and the events that have happened, they look negative. And, and you know, our polling shows that large portions of citizens think that the state and the country are on the right, are, are headed off, off on the wrong track. They're not in the right direction. So, you know, I think, I think there's no doubt that um, he has lost some of the, the support he had just because of the way he campaigned and that he's not delivering on those things that he talked about doing. Well, I, uh, one of your uh, competitive polls, I won't name the other poll, but one of your competitors had an interesting poll where they showed that Republicans owned the issue of the economy, fighting inflation, foreign policy, you know, prices, jobs, but Democrats owned climate change and social justice. And I'm going, Man, I, I, I know yeah. which side I'd like to be on on election day. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right about that, Michael. I mean, the, the, the perceptions around issues are important. And, um, and, and I think if you listen to the, the Virginia results and if you take those seriously, mm -hmm. it, it can seem to some voters, particularly suburban voters, that you know, the, maybe the Democrats are a little out of, the, out of touch with the mainstream. And, um, you know, I, I think I, I saw someone say that, um, you know, maybe the Democrats were only renting those suburban voters, right. not they don't own them. And I think, I think that characterization is real because those voters in the, in the suburbs that used to be Democrat or used to be Republicans are right. now kind of tilting towards Democrats, they still are more centrist than, say, 
folks in other areas. Well, my analogy is the voters were being harassed by this weird looking, shouty, blonde, scary guy. So they jumped in the nearest available cab. They've gone a couple of blocks with that the guy who was in the cab and now they're ready to get out. Yeah. So I think, I think that's where they are. Uh, uh, Professor Burwood Yost, director of Franklin and Marshall College's Center for Opinion Research. Thanks for joining us here on the Delaware Valley Journal podcast. We really appreciate your time. Hey, my pleasure. Nice talking to you. Thanks, Professor. You bet, Linda. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Delaware Valley Journal on the air. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your friends, post it on social media. And if you haven't, Sign up for our twice a week newsletter so you don't miss any of the terrific content from DelawareValleyJournal.com. Thanks again. I'm your host, Michael Graham.